Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, LB Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. You are within the sound of my voice and you haven't visited beenawake.com slash subscribed and gotten in on the ground floor. I need you to follow me today. If you're wondering where episode 40 went, because you probably are seeing this jump from 39 to 41, that is because there is a premium episode for people who are interested in subscribing. You can head there to beenawake.com slash subscribe and sign up um, through Substack. And there's a exclusive offer, a lifetime discount if you get in on the ground floor. So the title of this episode is going to be, What Does a Fascist Sound Like? What, it's, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Of course, If you're a student of history, I'm sure you've listened to speeches of fascists from the turn of the century, but I, I want you to listen to what a fascist sounds like in 2021. I love to clear out of your property. What did I do? I told you, non-compliance, you will have to get off. I didn't want to do this. Did you have to pick up your stuff? What did I do? What did we do? I'm sorry. I didn't want you off. Okay, no problem. Just tell me what we did. Non-compliance with the mask. Wearing a mask. She's not wearing it. The baby? Wearing a mask. Oh, oh, the baby? No, no, we're keep cutting it on. Not wearing a mask. A lot of kids are wearing masks. Who's been sitting next to me? Was I wearing a mask? Who's wearing it the whole time? Guys, was I wearing a mask all the time for you, buddy? I'm sorry. But the kids want you. This baby. I'll make sure he wears it. Everything's gonna be fine. I'm sorry. I'll make sure that they're wearing it, okay? Special needs child and a two-year-old. Right. I'm not my choice. Why would you make? That's what a fascist sounds like in 2021. This is not hyperbole. See, if you're a student of history, and if you're not, here's your lesson. If you're a student of history, you know, you know that fascism was a right-wing response to left-wing communism. Socialism was the milieu of the day. So, you had international communism and national fascism. Again, I said this in the first thing I ever wrote at beenawake.com. Rocks and plants are more easy to categorize than human ideas. You can quibble with my characterization in an academic sense, but in a practical matter for sense-making, this is what, this is what you need to know. The milieu of socialism spawned national fascism and international communism. The difference, one of the major differences between the fascists and the communists was that the fascists believed in a melding of business and state, 
and the communists believed in the and effectively the lack of the non-existence of business no that wouldn't be the right thing to say the the communists believed that you could basically create a new man and socialism was how you were going to do it again the key distinction here is the national interest versus an international in interest this is why there wasn't the russian empire under communism per se they they were the united states of soviet russia ussr the soviet they were the soviet union i think i got that acronym right by the way fact check me on that what you just listened to was a flight attendant was a flight attendant from spirit airlines going from orlando to new york telling a family that they needed to get off the plane because their two-year-old wasn't wearing a mask. And their two-year-old was sitting there eating yogurt. I've watched this video a couple of times. And I was, as I was just playing it for you now, <laughs> I was um, struck at the fact that, that the little girl was just quietly sitting there eating her yogurt the entire time when the fascist flight attendant told them to get off. Now, why am I insisting on calling this woman a fascist? Am I just trying to serve a point? Am I just trying to serve a political agenda? No, not exactly. One of the reasons why I'm purposefully using the word fascist here is because the federal are, are the airlines in the United States. I believe, I think you can argue at this point and maybe, and I should do some research here to, to actually back up my case and present it. But basically at this point, you are, our, our industry, our, our, um, our airline industry is effectively nationalized. The airlines I don't even have to look it up, have received tens of billions of dollars over the last year and a half from the federal government. Of course, it's a federal law that you have to comply with the directions of any flight crew. I don't deal in boogeymen or boogie women in this case, as it was a woman. Let's, but, but let's listen again at the beginning. I told you, non-compliance, you have to get off. I'm sorry, they want you off. Non-compliance with the mask. She's not wearing it. Who is she? A two-year-old child. Well, because two is the magic age that our illustrious leaders have decided that you should take your mat, that you need to wear a mask 100% of the time. This woman, this woman thinks that she is doing good. She thinks that she is doing the right thing by kicking this family off of the flight. Remember last week, and if this is your first time listening, thank you for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe with your email at beenawake.com slash subscribe so that you can get a deeper understanding of the world. This woman, this flight attendant thinks that she is doing the right thing because everything in her life is everything in her life has led her to this point of saying, I need to enforce the rules, regardless of whether or not the rules are correct. There's an obvious corollary here, by the way, to the police. There are people who will only follow the rules, who will not question the rules. These types of people are the ones who end up in positions like this. Also, they are the types of people who create situations like this. You understand? This is a personality type. They are celebrated by their superiors and by the government 
because they will follow the rules. This is on Spirit Airlines, which, of course, if you've flown Spirit, it's a budget airline. They tweeted, apparently, saying that we're aware of incorrect information circulating about Spirit Airline Flight 138 from Orlando to Atlantic City. The flight was delayed due to adults in a party not complying with the federal mask requirement. We have allowed the guests to continue on the flight to their destination after assurances of compliance. In the video, I won't lie, if you watch the video, you will see the man kind of move his mask down. But if you've been living in the real world as I have, that's a very common thing that you see people doing. Why? Because it's incredibly uncomfortable to talk behind a mask, especially if you're wearing the quote unquote medical style one that you are supposed to. I'm, I'm reminded. I'm reminded of when I uh, went to Lollapalooza a couple of summers ago. It was my first time ever going to a concert festival that big. I, when I, when I fly, I'm not, I don't, I try really hard not to rock the boat. I'm not interested. I'll take a stand where it's needed. Harassing a TSA agent is not my definition of, is not my definition of bravery. For other people, it is, and, and maybe for other people, it makes sense. But especially because a lot of the times that I fly, I'm flying for work, so it's not necessarily my time. Um, I don't have, uh, I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't make it more difficult than it is, other than, you know, glaring looks. <laughs> I, I, we've all, if you've, if you've been in the TSA, and I'll get back to the story of Lollapalooza, been in the TSA long, if you fly enough, you kind of know this, that it, the rules don't actually matter. It, the rules are whoever is enforcing it, which is a powerful lesson you should take to understand law and government. Because the law, as it relates to you know the story last week, we talked about it with the voter ID laws in Georgia or the lack thereof. It's, it's about what's enforced. It's not about, <laughs> it's not about what, what's written down necessarily. And it's about the culture that allows for it. How often do we watch these videos on Twitter and Facebook and we really just see people sitting around and watching as something like this happens? Remember when they dragged that man off the United flight? Remember when they choked Eric Gardner to death for selling Lucy cigarettes? Remember all the other horrible cases, and we'll get into the, the Derek Chauvin trial here in a minute. But I was think, but I wanted to, but I was thinking just now as I was talking about when I went to Lollapalooza and just how absolutely, again, the if you don't like the term fascism, fine. The authoritarianism involved. There's this huge security theater where I wasn't even supposed to bring at the time I was vaping a vaporizer in. I just kind of thought I could walk in with it. So I, and I had to leave and come back and go into the main line, even though I paid for expedited lines, because, you know, I wasn't about to go freaking six hours in a concert without my, without my nicotine. And of course, everybody just sneaks in marijuana, sneaks in their cigarettes in different, in different ways. I hated that. I, I hate feeling like I'm being controlled. And if you're listening to the show, I have a feeling you feel the same way. I don't know exactly. I don't know where all the answers are, right? This is a show of exploration. I can, like I said, I can give you that little history lesson where you understand why I'm going to call this flight attendant and anybody who kicks a family off of a flight because a two-year-old isn't wearing a mask a fascist. They are evil. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. So I am not being dramatic. But luckily, because this person made a stink and because there was probably video evidence, I, the, the, the story at least that I have here says that the flight attendant wasn't allowed to get back on. 
And apparently one person complained. You understand that? It takes one person to kick a family off of a plane. Why? Probably because I just didn't like the way these people looked. Probably because they just wanted to exert their control. And see, fascism, remember the Karen meme? It's one of the earliest things we talked about on the show, actually. Fascism enables the tyrant in all of us. It's very easy for us to give in especially if you're a type of person who's going to follow the rules as they are written and not as they are intended, or even following what is right over what is written. It's very easy to enable this kind of behavior, and this is only going to get worse unless people start to stand up. And apparently this was an instance where people were starting to stand up. It's not fun. (laughs) <laughs> to do that but it but you know in some cases i do believe it is required on monday i wrote about the um i asked the question are you watching the derek chauvin trial or have you been watching the chauvin trial and i certainly hope not was my subtitle I mentioned, I've mentioned on this show that I'm not going to cover the trial of Derek Chauvin, the officer charged in the death of George Floyd in any sort of depth, but it's not for the reasons you think. When I've covered the recent mass shootings on the been awake podcast for better sense making, I made the point that the corporate press outlets like CNN and their ilk are basically purveyors of smut. This is amplified when there are events like mass shootings or the public show trial, and that's what this is, that people are putting themselves through for some misplaced sense of catharsis. I saw someone in my Twitter timeline tweet something to the effect of, I'm so sorry for the people who will go through trauma watching the trial. My honest question that I asked reflexively when I saw that tweet was, why would you put yourself through something like that? You, as the average American, have no control over the murder trial being broadcast into your living rooms by the various news networks. It's important to recognize this, especially considering the obsession many have regarding this travesty. While I haven't paid too close attention to the particulars of this case, um, the, the sources I follow are because I don't really have the time. And if you want this, if you want me to spend more time on this, go to binawake.com slash subscribe. Some of the independent sources I follow are, which led me to find an interview that I linked to at the bottom of the piece. Sorry, my gum is falling apart in my mouth. The first 40 minutes or so of the interview that I have deal with the trial and the rest deal with questions of populism and Trump post-presidency. Uh, it's the, the person being interviewed is Robert L. Barnes, who is a high-profile criminal trial attorney who brings years of courtroom experience and um, an independent analysis. A couple of the things that I learned while watching this video was that there was a that that the, that the defendant Chauvin actually wanted to plea out, but they denied that. They also he also talks about how they brought in a bunch of. Um, <laughs> They brought in a bunch of professional prosecutors to help the, to help the state's case. I also learned this week, just well, I, I like I said, I don't want to get too too far into this um, into the particulars of the case because I haven't been paying attention. And I could get into some of the stuff that I've seen on Twitter and some of the stuff that I've learned, but this is the big point. It is highly likely. This is, this is where I'm going to give you a piece of information and you are going to have to figure out how to, how to react to it. And I'm going to tell you what I think the best course of action is. And I'm going to try my best to live up to it myself because it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. It is highly likely for whatever else, this is nothing to do 
with whether I think the actions were justified. This has nothing to do with whether I think that somebody like George Floyd should have, George Floyd should have died at the hands of police. I don't think so. It doesn't matter the particulars of whether he was high on three doses over the, you know, like a triple overdose on fentanyl and he ate extra and he consumed extra fentanyl as a way to hide the drugs. It doesn't, that, that's it. I wish it did, but it doesn't matter because the lie is that this case is about justice and that this case is about finding the truth. From what I understand, most, if not all, of the independent media is discussing, at least the sources I follow, and again, I could be biased and wrong, that it seems highly likely, based off the facts of the case, that Chauvin will be acquitted, or perhaps, I haven't seen this explored, there could be some sort of hung jury situation. Why? Because in a criminal trial, all the facts are brought to bear, and all the defense has to do is provide reasonable doubt. Reasonable doubt does not mean you think that he did the right thing, does not mean you think that he probably shouldn't be a police officer anymore. All those things can still be the case. But reasonable doubt in the court of law, which is a standard set over hundreds of years and is meant to it's meant to provide cover it's meant to provide protection for the innocent reasonable doubt is the standard and my understanding of what i've witnessed and listened to over the last week is that the corporate press these propaganda outlets who are indistinguishable from state media that we would see in fascistic and communist regimes, that they are not giving their, their viewers the entire story. Imagine that. Imagine that. So if you're somebody who reads ABC, NBC, CNN, USA Today, the Associated Press, Fox News probably, with few exceptions, you are being primed. There's a great, um, it'll, I'll probably play it in the bonus episode this week for premium subscribers. There's a great clip from Scott Adams that I heard. It's on um, the, his live stream from today. I'm recording this on um, the 8th. Where he discusses the idea of priming somebody from an influence perspective. Okay, so what does this all mean? Why am I going through all this preamble? Because a year ago, we, I, I had to sit by and be silent while people in my life decided to start lecturing me about ridiculous notions of critical race theory and the problems <laughs> And, and, and the idea that, you know, America is a racist country, all these things. Why? Because they were, they were primed and programmed to do that. They were, we were told over the summer that the riots were justifiable. We're coming out of a year of lockdowns. And I've already discussed the behavioral implications of something like that, that we are seeing manifested, not just in the shootings that have occurred, but in just like the general craziness that we see on both sides, right? The craziness of the belligerent non-masker walking into a gas station, of the belligerent store clerk who tackles them to the ground, of the crazy partiers in places like Florida and Texas. I'm sure it's happening there too. The fights, the, the family units that have been broken up, that people won't, that, you know, you can see tweets of people who say they won't talk to their children anymore because they've decided not to get vaccinated. Vice versa. All of these things are leading us to another summer of serious riots. And it's my intention to try and have the conversations with people in my life to, to explain a different position. That's, that's why I started this show. 
was because I needed to make sure that I was as good as I could be so that I could help other people find the words to discuss what's happening in the world. You don't have to like Derek Chauvin to understand that he will likely be acquitted. You don't have to think that the cops should kneel on somebody's neck or that you need to, you know, call the police when somebody's trying to pass a counterfeit bill. You don't need to, we can hold to, we all can't, but people who listen to the show can hold two thoughts simultaneously. I don't know how I'm going to do this, by the way. I think I'll just put a couple of things out there on my main profile and hope that some people come to me for it. And the only other thing I can do is in the instance that somebody tries to quote unquote, educate me, I'll remind them. And you can too, that you're not woke because you've been awake because you listen to the show and you have a deeper understanding of the world. You recognize that individualism is a a methodological individualism is a better way of understanding the world. That skepticism is required when you look at power centers and media institutions, that racism is the oldest and most persistent means of social control. And so if we see people talking about racism, we understand that they are trying to control us, that they are trying to control our minds. And especially when they are in positions of power, that they are likely lying in one form or another. Tuesday's post, Tuesday's post um, was, uh, you know, like this is, um, you'll see, you'll see this, uh, maybe I'll think of a way to shorten this, but it's, it's this idea of there's always more to say, which is something that I've written about um, on the show. I've, I've written about on the pages of beenawake.com and done on the, sh- on the podcast for better sense making as well. Much of the political rhetoric in America breeds a sense of fatalism. I don't want to participate in that. But I found myself at least personally circling around it last week as it related to the story of vaccine passports. Vaccine passports don't mean an end to human liberty as that begins. I I do believe that liberty and freedom come from within. This is probably why I wouldn't be a good politician. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my hand at some political strategy right now, but I do believe that freedom starts from within. If Epictetus can find freedom as a slave in in ancient Rome, then so can we. What they represent, and he was a Stoic, by the way, what they represent, as I hope I've made clear, vaccine passports, that is, is a definitive shift in the fundamental trust that undergirds peaceful society. The video I showed you is an example of that fundamental trust breaking down. A reasonable person who hasn't been conditioned who hasn't been given rules to follow that they will do so with no, uh, with no sense of humanity, right? That's, that's the type of societal trust that I'm talking about. Degrading, de- disappearing, frankly. As societal trust decreases, this is, uh, this is by the way, if you wanna look this up, there's, there's, there are academics who study this issue the idea of, um, of a high-trust society and a low-trust society. But as societal trust decreases, tyrants can seize more power. That's the tyrant in the, on the plane. That's the tyrant in your grocery store. That's, your, that's the tyrant who decided to yell out of their window from like 100 yards away from me to put on my effing mask when I was sitting, standing, in an in a empty gas station getting gas at like 10 o'clock at night. First time that's happened to me, I will say. It was, in, it was an interesting experience and I just laughed because you should laugh and ridicule people like that. Tyrants will seize more power as we move to a lower trust society. This pandemic is not the catalyst. So this isn't the reason for decreasing societal trust, but it has hastened the decline considerably. Honestly, more than I think more than I think I was even willing to admit. But this is, but again, this isn't about fatalism. 
implementing any kind of large scale vaccine passport done either by government or business is wrong. Make no mistake. It will pit neighbor against neighbor and family member against family member. I've made the point that you must, you must accept that there is a double standard if you are a free man or woman. You don't have the luxury of thinking that we are on a level playing field or an equal playing field any longer. This is what conservatives get wrong. They think it's an equal playing field and it's not. There is a double standard. And if you disagree with the narrative, you are on the other side of that double standard. Left with this realization, you can, if you want, continue to hide amongst your current herd or you can look to find a new one. I endeavor to create the circumstances for just such a breakup, for people to move themselves out of the massless, faceless herd they are in into a better group of people who want to be free. Despite whatever political machinations I am involved with in the moment, I know very well that the political realm is not where you solve your problems. Your misguided efforts to change the world are closer to your search for identity and meaning than you'll care to admit. Most believe, and have been conditioned to believe, that the cocaine bump of political bickering can replace the hard work of integrating yourself and becoming more as a human being. I should know, because I used to be a huge victim of this kind of mindset. This does not, what I just said does not mean we can ignore politics, though. But to better understand yourself, I would encourage you to move beyond it. There is, after all, a time and a place for everything. And, you should, and, and it might be time for you to clean your room, and it might be time for you to stand up and lead in your own personal life. It is a time to stand and be counted if you're ready for the battle. On Wednesday, um, I wrote a little bit about epistemic humility and personality. And funny enough, from a humility standpoint, I will say to you good people that um, I, was, I typed this out uh, when I was sitting at a restaurant this week in my travels and the draft. And I just, I write in Substack. Um, I really like the service. I really enjoy the fact, I really enjoy the tools that they've given me. Um, so I tend to just write in the word processor and Substack, but I lost internet and I actually lost half the article that I was, that I had written out in full. And so then I had to rewrite it, but I couldn't remember what I had done because I had eaten dinner already in that time. And ugh, I was so frustrated with myself, but it's, it's still a good point. And we're going to, we're going to draw out some important ideas here. When I write something dealing more closely with philosophy, you might notice that I don't choose a catchy headline. It's funny because a lot of people will say that um, a lot of people will say that, oh, you know, I don't you, you shouldn't focus on the politics. But when I I've noticed that when I put more um, political type of headlines, that more people tend to click on it. So, you know, this is why when you subscribe, you should open up the all the emails, especially the ones that don't seem like they'd be interesting, because I don't know if it's the right thing, but that's just kind of how I operate. Because I kind of do that on purpose, right? I don't necessarily write the most catchy headline for something. Because despite my shameless love for capitalism and monetization, I usually write as a consequence of the headline that I come up with. What I mean by this is that usually when I think of a topic to write about, it begins as an aphorism or as a headline or in a general idea that I want to explore. And I then expound upon that idea. And then we'll try to expound upon it further in the podcast every single week, which is what you're listening to now. For much of human history, in fact, all of it, the only way words had a staying power was in, it, was in their written form. Yes, it is true that there are stories that come to us before the word was written down. There are even cultures who are able to maintain an oral tradition to this day. However, oral traditions change ever so slightly across generations. Written language allows for words to not only last between generations, but for them to be read exactly as they were written, with some exceptions made for translation and linguistic drift. And if you're wondering, by the way, what I mean by linguistic drift, um, I'm borrowing from the term stellar drift, which is that we find in astronomy, um, which is basically, you know, like the exact place of stars 
a billion years ago aren't what they are today, but you know, we can calculate the drift from the relative position of earth. And so that's like stellar drift over time. And what I mean by this is that over time, the way we use words and what they mean as well as, as well as our mode of communication changes within a given language, like the stars in the sky over billions of years. Today, however, the spoken word has the same staying power as the written. Podcasting, YouTube, and so on means that not only can our voices last beyond our lifetime, but there is a chance that some fragment of our individuality or consciousness will as well. <laughs> this is kind of a terrifying thought as somebody who's doing a podcast is that there is this part of me that will theoretically live forever, provided that what I say has any value to people. But we'll have to leave this to the side as we explore the consequences another day. So early in my study of philosophy, I formulated the following saying, there are two things that every good philosopher does. First is compare themselves to Socrates. And second is to mischaracterize their opponent's arguments. And I'd, I'd like to say this is why I don't know that I'm a good philosopher. Now, as a skeptic, I put inquiry before dogma. I don't expect everyone to follow this exact path, but I do believe that everyone can benefit from such a perspective. Dr. Gad Sad introduced me to another formulation of this idea. He calls it epistemic humility. Now, epistemology is this very scary sounding word, apparently especially for the uninitiated, but it's okay. I'm going to initiate you right now. Epistemology is just a fancy way of saying the study of how we come to know something or the study of how we know something. It was during an epistemology class long ago that I first learned about the skeptical school of thought and where my, a lot of my early, um, or early formulations that I carry through to today in regards to you know, why I ask people what their school of thought is, why I think that's an important way of looking, why I don't think you can think outside of the box, you can just find another box to think in. A lot of these things all sprung from that class. But as Dr. Sad would put it, epistemic humility comes from the liberation found through the scientific method. Science, he says, offers a framework for autocorrection because scientific knowledge is always provisional. Continuing, and accepted scientific knowledge is always provisional. Put another way, ooh, wow, I didn't mean to put that quote there twice. Put another way, epistemic humility is that for any one opinion you may hold, for any one opinion you may hold, the possibility exists that you are wrong. This is the very simple idea of what it means for skepticism as a school of thought and what is integrated into the scientific method and what every good scientist should be doing. And if that's not how somebody is acting and they claim to be a scientist, then now you know they are not that. Put another way, epistemic humility. Ah, sorry. It doesn't follow from this. Now, okay, so just because, just because any one opinion you have might be incorrect, it doesn't mean that you have to be weak in defending your deeply held beliefs. In fact, I believe that you can have, obviously, as the fact that I do this show and I advocate for human liberty, I think that it's possible to have both a skeptical view of the world, which is, again, just the recognition that I might be wrong about something and still have deeply held beliefs. I am just committed to the idea that better reason and better evidence can remove a, bad, a badly held belief. And I've changed my mind on a lot. The person I am today is very much like the person I was 10 years ago. But there are a lot of particulars that have changed. Certainly the types of arguments I make today, I wouldn't even have made five years ago when I did my show for the first time. You understand? And that's a good thing. But most people, like the fascist flight attendant we listened to at the beginning of this episode, they don't have the presence of mind to do that. In part, probably, because nobody ever bothered to teach them to do that. And another part, because there's something to be said for the fact that um, being sure of something is better than questioning things. You, we, we have a tendency, remember last week we talked about that there is an element of human nature, an element to the way our brains are designed to work. So try and have things make sense. So when somebody in a position of authority 
tells us something, we are more likely to believe it. As your status raises, you can people you have a greater influence over other people. That's why I'm doing the show. That's why I'm bothering to put a body of work out there into the world is because I want to help people. And I know the way to do that is to build my own, my own personal brand, as it were, and a body of work that people can look at and say, yeah, I like what he has to say. I'm going to subscribe. Or to say this guy's an idiot and I'm never going to talk to him again. And that's okay too. It means... So it doesn't, so you don't have to, you don't have to not have any deeply held beliefs. You don't have to be weak in defending those beliefs. I'm somebody who we haven't really had a debate on this show yet. I'm looking forward to the day where somebody will try to quote unquote, come at me. Um, I, I might be having those conversations, but they might not be on the been awake project. Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't debate. It doesn't mean that you can't have deeply held beliefs. What it means is that the quest for truth should always supersede one's ego. That's the way Dr. Sad would put it. Considering the fact that I believe that people who claim to have truth are generally, you know, basically everybody claims to have the truth. And so it's kind of a muddled word. I look at expression. I look for, underst I look for understanding and I look for expression. And I try to do those two things. And maybe what most people call truth is inside of that. I don't know because I'm, con I'm still searching for answers. And I have a way of viewing the world that I think works pretty well, but I'm always looking for better arguments and a better understanding of the world. And that's exactly why you should follow me on this show. That's also why the show is better than pretty much anything else out there, by the way. Something that social scientists have observed, okay? And certainly you have observed this as well. I just put the whole predicate of social science because you know you have to say these things. But you've, you've observed and you've observed this in your life. This is a basic, this is a basic, you know, I would say the word truth if I hadn't just said what I said. This is a basic thing we all understand about living life and dealing with people. Different people, ready? This is, this is super deep, ready? <laughs> different people have different temperaments and personalities. <gasps> Shocker. Some people are assholes. Some people are really, really nice. Some people are meek. Some people are mild. Some people are, you know, variations thereupon. If you were paying attention, you'll also note that I tried to express the same idea of inquiry before dogma in at least three different ways above, and especially in this, in that we've been talking about it here. While some may disagree, it seems fairly demonstrable that the elements of personality are based in biology. One way this manifests that has been studied by social scientists are the differences in career choices between men and women in Scandinavian countries and elsewhere. This matters, as Jordan Peterson discussed, Dr. Jordan Peterson discussed multiple times because the Scandinavian countries have adopted more policies in the aggregate than other developed Western countries to remove the differences between men and women, right? They've adopted the most egalitarian social policies across the West and, and, and by default, therefore, across the world. The result, and I'm quoting from Dr. Peterson's website, the more egalitarian and wealthier the country, the larger the differences between men and women in temperament and in interest. And the relationship is not small. The most recent study published in Science by researchers at Berkeley, which is, as he says, hardly a hotbed of conservatism and patriarchy, showed a relationship between a wealth egalitarian composite measure and sex differences that was larger than that reported in 99% of published social science studies. These are not small-scale studies. Here's another, he said, equally recent. Hyperlinks are, of course, in the piece at beenawake.com and in the show notes. Tens of thousands of people have participated in them, and many different groups of scientists have come to the same conclusion and published those results in very good journals. So here's, here's the principle, and this is something that I've been working out myself a little bit. If this can be demonstrated in choices between men and women, the same, I would argue, can be said between men and men and between women and women and any variations thereupon. I'm very interested, philosophically speaking, in the question of identity and what that means. I think in the 21st century, in the internet age, and certainly in Western nations, the richer we become, 
the more questions of identity will not be a matter of birth or location, but a question of choice and biology. I'm going to read that sentence again. I think in the 21st century, in the internet age, and certainly in Western nations, the richer we become, the more questions of identity will not be a matter of birth or location, but a question of choice and biology. Contending with the differences in personality that exist, right, that aren't just rooted in education, aren't just rooted in where you were born, what family you were born into, but are rooted in the very genes, the very basic elements of who we are, the basic building blocks of who we are as a person, right? And we're like, what, 97% genetically similar to a banana? We're 99% genetically similar to a chimpanzee. So just think, because this is, uh, and rightfully so in, 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 certain, in certain instances, but this is often used against, uh, against what, I, what I'm trying to argue here is that, well, you know, we're, we're 99% similar, 99.99. But think of all the variation that exists in that 0.01%. And understand that our brains are, are in many ways designed to notice and categorize difference. And that's okay. It's a matter of, it's, it's a question of what you do with that, right? I haven't even looked at the stupid executive orders that, that President Biden has put out today, our president, mind you, all hail him. But I haven't even looked at the stupid executive orders he's put out as it relates to the, as, as it relates to the Second Amendment and gun control in the United States. But, but I do know that <laughs> I do know that it's not going to stop anything. Understanding that different people have different personalities and that these manifest themselves in different ways is still an unknown fact and not popularized to many people, right? This is, the, like I said, person, their personality differences exist, and I think some of that is based in biology. It's a question of how much. I also think, by the way, though, who you are as a person is a matter of choice. In a certain, in, I'm, not a, I'm not a determinist, and I, I don't really like determinism. I saw a recent clip, by the way, of Jordan Peterson talking about this, the question of free will and determinism, which is, again, one of these constant struggles in the history of the world in different schools of thought. And this is, this is one of the things that I don't think really comes out in this piece, but I kind of touched upon in the original draft of this, which is this was something I intuited kind of before I had come to, before I had learned some of these, uh, some of like the modern social science and before I had learned about like evolutionary psychology and evolutionary biology. Because I noticed that these great minds of history, right? These great philosophers in the Western tradition, not, and obviously I'm not saying anything even about the Eastern tradition or the African tradition or any of the other great spiritual leaders. I'm talking specifically about philosophy in the Western tradition. All these great minds had disagreements but they all wanted to compare themselves to Socrates and they all, but they also kind of would each mischaracterize be like, well, you know, I'm not going to quote exactly what somebody says. I'm just going to kind of give you what my understanding, see understanding expression, what my understanding is of their position and their argument. And I'm going to respond to that. You know, I heard recently, I think we'll play this on the clip um, between James Lindsay and Michael Malice that, you know, at, I had forgotten where I had read this, but you know, that effectively a lot of times we're just manifesting pathologies inside of us and we call it like knowledge. I, like I said, I intuited this in my reading of philosophy and the skeptical school helped formalize the thought pattern. In fact, it was taught to me that part of the reason the ancient Greeks developed philosophy at all had to do with the fact that they encountered different cultures with different religious beliefs and practices. Understanding that different people have different personalities and that these manifest themselves in different ways is still not a well-known fact. However, for people who study influence, especially politicians, this is well-known. And therefore, they exploit these differences to turn your neighbor into the other. I do believe 
that different personalities can coexist peacefully. But I don't think that those who lust for power over others want this to occur. Given that my goal is not to rule the world, but to understand humanity, I give this knowledge to you freely. If you enjoyed this insight, please subscribe. Even some of the greatest philosophical minds have had differences in thought. And this, this goes for great philosophical minds separated by history, geography, and, you know, even hours apart. Right? People writing in the same country at the same time had different ideas of what the nature of the world is. Different people writing at the same time within the same faith have differences in it. We have the Gnostics, who are some of the earlier, you know, some of the early heretics to the Catholic Church. We have the Protestant Reformation. We have the many schisms since that. We have the evangelicals here in America today. In Islam, you have the Sunnis and the Shias and the Sufis and the Alawites and, and a few other ones. And, I'm, you know, I don't know all of them. In, in Buddhism, you have differences between how it is practiced. You have differences with what that, how that relates to Jainism, how that Jainism relates to Santana Dharma or Hinduism how Buddhism is practiced differently in a place like India and a place like China. That's why you have the fat laughing Buddha and then the serene Buddha. And then it's probably, and it's still different from how it's practiced in places like Korea or in places like, um, like Japan or the rest of the East and South Asian countries. And of course, even within the Catholic church, which is just happens to be the religion I'm, I was raised in and the one I know best. There are differences in how mass is celebrated in Africa, in the Pacific Islands, in America, in South America, in the United States and South America, and in various places. Different people have different personalities and they manifest themselves in different ways. And the richer we become, here, this is, this is the point. The richer we become, it would appear, and this could be, I could be wrong about this. I'll, I'm practicing epistemic humility here, but this seems to cohere. And this seems to make a lot of sense that the richer we are, and especially in the age of the internet, personality differences are maximizing. See where before, when you maybe only knew a hundred people and there were people in your town, culture, culture had the benefit of being more insular. You understand? If you were born the son of a blacksmith, you were likely going to become a blacksmith. And how many people still do follow in the footsteps of their parents? My dad's in sales. I'm in sales. Right? So this isn't, this isn't that far-fetched of an idea. It's a very old idea. My point is in the modern day, it maximizes. What do I mean when I say it maximizes? Well, that means it's more likely that you are going to follow your natural inclinations. And by natural inclinations, I'm talking about, you know, epigenetic phenomena. I, I think that's incredible, actually. And it certainly has helped give me an understanding of who I am and who the people who are closest to me, who they are. And I think you can appreciate people for who they are. And it also means when we're having political conversations, we have to be aware of this. See, it doesn't matter how logical or how reasoned I am. My message will turn some people off and I have to come to terms with that. And I don't believe that the mass of people who disagree with me are all evil or all malevolent. There are malevolent people within that group, but it doesn't, it doesn't represent the majority. Why? because most people will do as they are told or what they are told. Like the flight attendant at the beginning of this podcast. If some of the greatest philosophical minds had differences in thought, even when they wrote at the same time, within the same time period, within the same country, within the same language, this demonstrates to me as a student of philosophy, as somebody who walks the path of the philosopher, who practices skepticism and individualism, 
that at least some of our differences are based in things that we don't yet fully understand. Our brains, our diet, our environment, all of these things coming together in some magical mix that we call humanity and free will. The more we understand this point, I think the better we can communicate. And I certainly hope so. Cause you know, the alternative is that the alternative is basically never ending destructive war. All righty. Um, so on Thursday, our content recommendation for the week was uh, where it talks about the ties between the woke and communism. So let me, let me, let me take two steps back to what I was kind of talking about where how, how you can stand up to the woke is, is a question. And it's a question that I don't know that I can fully answer, except for me, at least it involves the process of working through the ideas and combating them and trying to give you the pieces of the puzzle that you can put together yourself. Again, individualism, skepticism, the understanding that racism is the oldest and most persistent means of social control, at least within the United States. And what that gives us, what that gives us are the tools which we, with which we can combat, not the, maybe not the most powerful elements, but we can combat the mind virus that exists within those who are closest to us. Clean your room, tend your garden, be a good person to those people in your life. Don't give in to the cocaine hit of political bickering. It's fun. Like you can still have it. it it's like, it, it, let, me, let me switch from one drug to another. So let's switch from cocaine and let's use alcohol as the metaphor, right? A couple of drinks for most people is okay. But the more you drink, the more you, you know, tend to make a fool of yourself, or at least that's my experience with drinking. And so part of being an adult and if you want to have adult conversations, you should act like an adult and expect to be treated like an adult. Part of being an adult means understanding where your limits are as it relates to drinking. And if somebody can't or doesn't want to understand their limits, well, then I don't have to associate with you. And so this would go from this would go in terms of, of drinking, drug consumption, and it would also go in terms of, you know, senseless political bickering. Because if we're going to, if you're not going to understand your limits, well, then, then you will become my enemy. And if there's one thing you don't want, it's for me to become your enemy. So I wanted to just play a little bit of the podcast with Michael Malice and James Lindsay, because James Lindsay, if you haven't ha checked him out, I think it's conceptual James on Twitter. I mean, James Lindsay is what I would aspire to be in many respects. Um, <laughs> what's funny is, I, I, you know, I follow, I try to follow him on many different platforms. And sometimes I feel like I'm crazy because of some things that I've read. And then he talks about it. I'm like, Oh, 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 I read that guy. I, I didn't think anybody else knew about Joseph Piper. So, so James Lindsay has done a great job, new discourses. Um, if you want to understand, this is understanding again, from a philosophical perspective, the roots of what we are dealing with quick and effective means to assert dominance and leapfrog over them in some kind of status hierarchy. If there was a word that I would say or that you would say that would automatically make you more listened to, more important, uh, more liked, more popular, more lucrative, I would say that word and, and so would you. So I think people don't appreciate to what extent many of these actors are responding to incentives. Yeah, that's super important because I've talked to, I don't know how many people I've talked to kind of in the business world who but also in education where they've pointed out, it's like they became aware that this was happening, that the world being constructed around this ideology was creating incentives for them to lean into it. You know, they're going to make the deal or whatever it is in a business meeting. This is a kind of based on a real story. I'm vague, making it really vague to sure. leave out identifying details, but they're going to make the business deal. And all of a sudden it's like, it's not quite going. And it's like, yeah, but I'm an immigrant, you know, and that little bit of like magic, magic power behind it's like a magic spell and all of a sudden it's like oh well we have to help the immigrant you know and tapping into that the, the person didn't realize they were they were taking up the invitation but it was there they knew on some like subconscious level that yeah. it would work 
and they just lean into the incentive. And it's like, you can, you can take yourself three inches down the road and rationalize every three inch step and end up three miles down the road before you know it. And just stand around wondering, how did I get here? And this is the thing that I think most of the people playing around in this world have done. I don't think most of them, I think it's a relatively small number of people who are genuinely the, the bad actors who have, you know, cooked up these ideas or not even sometimes not even bad actors. Sometimes they're just psychologically broken people and they're trying to force the world to conform to their pathology. Um, We're seeing that with Foucault right now, who, you know, it's now coming out that he probably did um, rape young men and boys as a matter of fact. And Keynes as well was another one. Yeah. So I've heard. Um, And so, you know, it's funny with, with, with Foucault because he is so Nietzschean and, you know, Nietzsche had this whole observation that everybody who's read even barely any Nietzsche knows that, you know, Nietzsche was pretty down on the other philosophers and said, you know, most philosophers aren't doing philosophy. They're just rationalizing their own pathologies. And it's like, that's Foucault, like to the end. And then the queer theorists have continued it. And now we have these like, you know, what is it? MAPs, minor something people or something like that. It's just, I forgot what minor attracted person is that what it stands for? Yeah, that's it is attracted person. That's their that's their code name for pedophile. Yeah, that's they have a code name for. Of course, everything has to be hidden behind a friggin' acronym, uh, in lots of syllables. Well, I don't know. Yeah, pedos. I I don't know if it's it's hidden. I I want to hear your thoughts on this. My understanding or my my hypothesis at least is that they use jargon as a very quick mechanism of in group signaling. So if I'm using terms and you know if I know what an MAP is and you know what an MAP is, right away you and I know we're on the same team. Everyone else won't know, but you and I can have a conversation in plain view. That'll be completely incomprehensible to everybody else. And this is how you can pass in a broader culture. And this is something that the Soviets did very, very well, that they trained their operatives to pass in in, in mainstream culture. And I, I recently was doing research for my upcoming book. And there was, a, a I think it was in West Germany, when a Stasi operative was caught because she was using communist phraseology, like in a matter of fact way. He's like, wait, 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 wait. people don't talk like this. I'm on to yeah. you. But this is something I think people don't appreciate as well, that they use language, um, not only in complete different mechanisms than average people do, but they also view language as inherently a means for one group to dominate another. Is that not accurate? That is accurate. And just as an example of what you're talking about with their like, you know, in-group language, I was literally talking with a group of friends of, of mine who are Asian American civil rights activists. And they're in this whole group. And most of the people in it are Chinese American or otherwise Asian American. And, um, they were, they were asking each other, have you ever heard anybody call us AAPI except woke people? No, nobody's ever used this an acronym and now AAPI stop AAPI hate or whatever is all over the internet. Um, and you are correct. Uh, my friend, Mike Nana calls this discourse engineering. They believe that if you change, because they're ultimately deeply in, involved, well, it's Hegelian on the one hand, that's structuralist on another hand. So they've taken up I don't know how, how much Hegel influenced the structuralists, actually. But they have this belief that the, the structure of language and the application of language actually do dictate how we understand reality, but in fact, further, how reality is constructed. This is what... I thought I would end the show today talking a little bit about groups, in-groups and out-groups. I think that part of what it means to be Western is an acceptance of pluralism, but that's not the same thing as multiculturalism. There is a change. The world is turning. The world always turns, but I'm using this in a metaphorical sense. There is a turning happening right now um, as it relates to as it relates to the world and, and culture. And what I'm kind of realizing, I've said this a few times, it is a time, I think it is a time where people need to stand and be counted. I don't think it's a, it's not a time for everybody to do this, but 
in-groups and out-groups. There are always going to be in-groups and out-groups. What we just heard James Lindsay and Michael Malice discussing there, especially at the end, is the way in which people are abusing language to better serve their interests. See, I've said this before. Some people, I, I suffer from this thing called a memory, right? Because I've trained my brain and what I'm trying to do is give you the tools to do this as well, where you can question things reflexively, where you can put inquiry before dogma. I'm trying to teach these tools. And by doing so, I'm putting you in the out group. But there's, a, there's freedom in that. And freedom, as I've said a million times, already starts from within. If you like what you heard today, go to beenawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.